The following audio is from The House in Rogers, Arkansas. More information about The House Church can be found at www.welcometothehouse.com. We are in our last season, this last series, a five-week series, talking about today, money. And so my assignment today is giving generously. And, and so I'm just waiting for the walls to go up and for you to shut down so that we can re-talk all about this. But no, seriously, there were two men who were shipwrecked on an island. They landed on the seashores. One of them began screaming, we're going to die, we're going to die, we're going to die. And the second man calmly leaned against the palm tree and was, was cool. And the first man looked at the second man and was like, what, 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 do you know? We have no food. We, we have no water. We're going to die. And the second man just said, you know what? I, I think we're, I, I'm good. He goes, how are you good? He was like, because I make $150,000 a week. And the guy was like, listen, that's great, but nobody knows we're here and nobody's mailing you a check and we're going to die. And he goes, no, 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 no. I make $150,000 a week and I give 10% of that tithe. My pastor will come find me. Oh, you know, you know what, here's the deal, I, I do, I know that, that there's a lot of thoughts about this, and, and I'm going to do my best not to give you my opinion, I'm going to go through the Bible, and we're going to walk through some things on money, but I love, and let me just say this starting out, I love that we have a, a generous church. Since we started the house, we've been able to turn ministry, we've been able to turn money into ministry. And that's what God has called us to do as we've done outreach, has helped feed the homeless. We've done things through all of us coming together, and it's been exciting to watch as we grow. A couple of verses that I want to start out with, Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 2. Uh, a lot of you may be new and you're wondering why we come up to the altar, why we do what we do, why people come to the altar and pray. And so I just want to take a second helping you just understand in context, in context what's going on. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 2 through 4, that you shall take some of the first fruit of all your produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's interesting the context of what it says. It, it, it makes sure that the reader understands who's giving the increase. You know, a lot of times when we're managing our money, we need to understand stewardship and that we are managers of what we bring in. And I know that's very hard because and there's an there's a old show that uh, my pastor always used to play, and it was this old Western, and the, the, the mom had passed away, and the, and the dad's there at the table, and, he, and everybody's getting ready to eat, and the guy goes, oh, wait, your mom would have wanted us to pray. And he goes, Lord, I worked I cooked, I cleaned, we did it all, but we're supposed to praise you, so we will. You know, that, that, that's, the, that's the movie. And it was funny, and it's like sometimes we get really attached to what's ours, but really we're a steward. Yeah. We're a steward, and we're stewarding everything that God gives us so that we can be a blessing, so that we can move the gospel forward, so that we can't, so people can see the light of God and obviously turn their whole attention towards Him. Look at this. Your God has given you 
and put it in the basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chose to make his name abide. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it down before the altar of the Lord. That is um, Deuteronomy chapter 2, and then uh, we skip to chapter 4. Proverbs 3, 9 through, 9 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all of your increase, so that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I don't know about you, but I, I, I like my vats overflowing. You understand what I'm saying? I, I, I don't, anybody got some vats that you want overflowing? Here is how that happens. Is It's no surprise as we begin to talk about money, you know, mar marriages a lot of times fail for three reasons. Marriages fail because of a lack of communication. Marriages fail because of issues in sex. And marriages fail because of money. And so as we talk about money, let, let, let's talk a little bit about it. Money is an important topic in the Bible, so much so where nearly half of the parables that Jesus told had to do with money in the New Testament. The Bible has over 500 verses that deal with prayer, right under 500 verses on faith, and over 2,000 on money. 15% of everything that Jesus spoke about was on the topic of money and possession, and more than Jesus teaching on heaven and hell, he taught on money. Yeah. Why? Why is there such an important part of this conversation that Jesus would be talking about because there is a connection between our money and our spiritual lives and we need to make sure that as we handle money that we handle it appropriately. Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In this word mammon, it means treasure or it means riches. Okay, so let, let's look at this. This is a key verse for us as believers because we need to understand that there are two masters competing for your attention. There is the master of money and there is the master of Je Jesus. And both of them, it's interesting that the disciples would call Jesus master. I know that it's very hard for us sometimes to talk about money because then we kind of move it from a heart issue to just cognitive. I, I'm just, I need to think about this and I need to decide what decision I'm going to make but what you need to understand is that Jesus took it from the mind to the heart. And he dealt with it as a heart issue, not as just a contemplative thought about budgets and, and, and numbers. It was about heart. Think about this. You buy what you love. Come on, if we were all in, in some random weird way... <laughs> started looking at everybody's bank statements, it would be Netflix, come on, you know, internet. And maybe if you're a gamer, you'd have Clash of Clans, you know. You'd have, uh, what, what, you'd have guns, you'd have fishing poles, you'd have bikes. And so here's the thing. If we were to look at your money, would any of it speak about moving the gospel forward. Because the reality is, we tend to want to keep God in the spiritual component where we love Him with our heart, 
but he doesn't see our money. And so I, I'm, I don't want, I'm not teaching this because it's self-serving. The reality is this. We, there are reasons why walls go up when we begin to talk about money. Funny thing happens when you start talking about money to people, they get very uncomfortable. Usually because of two reasons. The first is, it's because we've all witnessed pastors and churches that have been more manipulative than they have been missional. Where, they, where fleshly, they want to move into these, the, the, these teachings where it's more opinion and it feels more like condemnation than conviction. But on the, on the other side, we've, we've been in, in sermons where these messages are just things we don't really want people to touch and they're areas of our heart that we don't want to open up. And so everybody's got a portion of the word that they don't want to hear. Come on. People who don't deal with lust love sermons on lust. That's right. It's terrible. People who, who don't have a problem with gluttony love hearing stuff on gluttony. Come on. People, we, we love hearing the issue we don't have to deal with. But when we get to the issue that we deal with, it's everybody's puckering up. And Wives are trying not to nudge husbands. Husbands are trying not to nudge wives. People are looking around like, did he hear us talking the other day? It's amazing how, hap how it just happened because we always like to brag where we don't have an issue. And so the reality is, I want to talk about this. I want to dive off in it to make sure that we have a biblical understanding of what God is looking for from us. Genesis chapter 4, verse 1 through 7. This is where we're going to spend some time here. It says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the, fir of the fruit of of the ground to the Lord, Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. Cain was angry and his countenance fell. And so the Lord said, Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and it does its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Can I talk just a second? There's a lot in this text that I want to dive into. And there are things that because of the sake of time, I'm not going to be able to get to. But it's interesting that God speaks to Cain and says about the sin of, of offense. Cain is offended that God would not accept what he gave. It's very interesting when we look at this at first glance. Everybody looks the same. Here are two brothers in the same family who go up and give a gift to God. Both of them on the outward look very similar. Both came to worship God. Both came to give. Both wanted their gift to be accepted by God. But yet in a very real way, there is a different outcome. And why is there a different outcome? Well, I've heard many people say, well, the reason that God did not accept Cain's offering is because... God had cursed the ground because when Adam and Eve sinned, Adam ate the fruit, and there, there, there was a curse there. The only problem is God creates everything to work. 
And so I don't, that doesn't really make sense because you would think that, okay, if the curse is there so that every farmer now who, who grows crops, they're doing that in rebellion. That doesn't make sense to me. The reality is God, Adam and Eve made a choice and they reasoned in their heart. You hear what I'm saying? And they sinned and God needed to come in and, and, and cover them. But here is why this offering, this sacrifice of giving was not accepted. Let's back up and look at this. It says this in Genesis chapter 4. You guys got that over there? In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought in the process of time. In the process of time. Here are the difference between Cain and Abel. Cain brought his first. Abel brought his first, but Cain brought what he wanted to. Does that make sense? There is something about your first and your best and what Abel grew up and when he began to produce, he brought the first of that offspring. In other words, it may have been a male, it may have been a it didn't matter, but what he brought, he brought the very first, he brought the very best. Well, what happens if it doesn't reproduce? Well, what happens if this hurts my business? Well, he brought the first to God and he gave it to the Lord and he said, if nothing else comes from this, I am going to give you my first and I'm going to give you my best. Where Cain picked and chose what he wanted to give in the process of time. In other words, he had been a farmer. He picked and maybe he arranged a nice little platter for God. You know what I'm saying? Had a little zucchini, had a little this, had a little that, and brought that to God. But God did not accept the offering because God wants what's first. Come on, somebody. God does not want what's left over. God wants what's first. And he's never changed. In, the, in Revelations, we, we read about a verse that John is talking to the churches and he says, I have this one thing against you. You've lost your first, come on, love. First is very, very important. As we look at this, it's, it's important for us to understand. And even in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So though he, which he obtained, witnessed his righteousness. God testified to his gifts, and though he is, though he is dead, he is still speaking. Here's what I want to say: It's amazing that how we get offended when we feel like we should be able to give God whatever we want, and He should be happy. Because at least I'm giving God something. Does that make sense? I should be able to give God whatever He wants and Him to be happy with me, and it doesn't matter. But the reality is this. While we are not under the law, and people will say that, and I'll talk a bit about, about tithe and all of that here in just a second. It is interesting to me that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus took everything higher. He did not make it less. In other words, back in the OT, they, it, it was don't commit adultery. But up in the new T, Jesus said, if you look, look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. Whoa! We went from touching to looking. In the Old Testament, they had thoughts about divorce. In the New Testament, Jesus took it to a whole nother level. 
In everything that you can think of that was the law, Jesus took it up higher. Why did he take it up higher? Why did he intensify everything? Because he wanted people to know you cannot work for this. It has to be your heart. You have to be all in. It has to be a complete, I cannot achieve what you're asking me to do. And I'm going to lean into this. Come on. And I'm going to trust you and I'm going to have the faith to believe what you've called me to believe. Listen, the essence of true worship is giving your God your best. Come on, God don't want leftovers. Listen, I, I, my wife ruined me. My wife is a cook. And can I tell you, my life was really, really fine before marriage. Come on, I had Vienna sausages. I had, uh, what is the, uh, ramen noodles. I knew how to make some ramen noodles that would change your world, blow it up. You know, little, little paprika, little, little seasoned salt, putting in some sausage. I had, I had the single life down. And then my wife came and started making homemade chicken. <laughs> chicken parmesan. I didn't even know that, 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 that it existed, okay? Cause, cause, but because we just threw spaghetti and anything that we had started up and ate it. But now it's like the plate is arranged and the Parmesan's in the middle and the chicken and the, and the little green things over here and uh, the li little, little lemon and we got the little, uh, you know, the, the orange peel. And, and she's like here and I'm like, oh my. I love you all over again. And so here's the thing is she would create all these things. And the first couple of years, I didn't want leftovers because I was so excited. Every time we ate it, it was an experience. You understand what I'm saying? It was like exciting. It was like, ooh, what's next? I mean, I would wake up for breakfast asking for what is for dinner. You know, it was like, and so I, I thought about it. And I was like, hey, what's, what are we eating? What are we? And so after a while, it was like, babe, you know what? We really need to do leftovers. And I'm like, I don't do leftovers because I'm so excited about what the next meal is. And she said, no, remember what we had last night? I was like, yeah, I remember. She's like, good. <laughs> Heat it up. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so the, my, my, my thing is this, that God wants first and, and best. God doesn't want what's left. God doesn't want, listen, God doesn't want what's left. And here's the problem is that I think that one of the reasons the church doesn't have the victory that it could have is because we, we tip. We don't tithe. We give a trinket. And there is a spiritual lesson with your money. The Bible says in the New Testament that wherever your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Could we as believers spend more of our income on toys, entertainment, and fun, and not kingdom? And would God care? Would God care? What if God, what, what, and I'm just throwing this out to you, what if God gave you the talent the ability, the leadership, the resources, all of that to build wealth and advance the kingdom. Because we read in the New Testament 
that people were even selling properties to come to advance the gospel. That's there. That's not made up. As we talk about this, listen, I, on Saturday mornings, we, have, we play basketball at the rack. And uh, sometimes I go and I play, and it's, it's pretty fun to watch. Uh, but, but I go, and so there's a bunch of people there. And, and wh- what's amazing to me is how the expectation level is so high, but like nobody's D1, you know what I'm saying? Most of them are older people. You know, some of them are college students. And so they're like still trying to, you know, uh, I guess make it to the NBA or whatever. But, but I have fully come to realize that my five-foot, 11 inch self is probably not going to have a career in basketball and so the pressure is real and so they're picking up teams and come on it's it's almost like back in grade school and you're like hey buddy you know what i'm saying i'll buy you a taco you know what i'm saying and so i get picked up and here's the thing as i get picked up the expectation is so high because they expect me to give my best now, my best and their best are totally different best. You know, they run and don't wheeze, and I run and do wheeze. But anyway, um, they can run up and down the court many more times than I can. But, but as we, it's amazing that when I am given an opportunity, they want me to make it. They want me to box out. They want me to have run. They want me to be defensive. They, they have all of these expectations for me and, because they want my best. And what I'm saying to you is expectations are not always bad. I have expectations and God has expectations for us. And obviously God wants you to give what is in your heart to give. But here's the thing is that the givers are all in the Bible. Givers are all in the Bible. I want to give you five benefits really quick to giving generously. Five benefits to giving generously. The first is this, giving reveals your heart. Giving reveals your heart. God wants your best. God doesn't want occasional tips. He wants your best. I said this verse already, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. It was evident that Cain wanted to give a token, but not his first and not his best. God requires first. When Katie and I began to get married and and started tithing, it was very important for us to begin to to give our first and our best together. And there's so many misconceptions about what God will do and what will happen. And I want to walk through some of that. But I will tell you this, that when we worship the way we do, and the reason that we put our tithe and offering as a part of worship is because we see that that is the one moment in our uh, uh, service where we know that God has connected with your heart. Because when people give money, it's not about the money. It's access to their heart. Come on. That's, did any of y'all have like Nazi moms that when you were a kid and got a, a, a Christmas card and there was some money in it? It was like, you have to write a letter. If you don't write a letter, you know what I'm saying? Some of you are that mom, you know what I mean? You're like, if if money comes to your kids, you're like, okay, sit down right now and write a letter. Why? 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 
You know, I, I remember money coming to me in an envelope as a child and, and opening the envelope, looking at the money. Hallelujah! And my mom would say, did you read the card? What card? Hallelujah! <laughs> there was a card? Well, what did it say? It doesn't matter. I got money. But I, at, 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 a young at a young age, I didn't know that that money represented something. It wasn't just money, but it represented an openness and a heart, and there was love and connection behind the capital. Does that make sense? As we look at this, what is tithe? We don't throw that word around. That's not a common word today. But the word tithe means the tenth part. Another way to say that is 10%. And so when we're talking about tithing, we're talking about 10% of your income. Now, some will claim in the old, this is the old covenant. This is the old covenant. But the reality is tithing was not instituted as law until uh, Leviticus. But the first tithe happened when Abraham, in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham was going to save Lot. Lot had got himself into a, a jam. And he goes, and, and Abraham gets crazy. I mean, just goes in there, busts everybody up, whoops everybody, takes all the spoils. And as he's going back to his hometown, he runs into a man. He runs into Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was a holy man, and he gives him 10% of everything he has. And it is known as a free will offering, a gift he gives. Here in Genesis chapter 14, 18 and 20, it says, Melchizedek, the king of um, Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God, the Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, professor of heaven and earth. Blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. This was before the law. This was before any of that. See, what we need to see is this. Our heart is connected to our money. And when we give, you're giving God access to your heart. And here's the thing, it's very easy. Some people tithe. Oh, yeah, well, I know that. Some people are like struggling, like, ah, uh, but I've really been around some weird churches. And, and here's what I want to say is people who've been tithing know it works. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they know it works. Because the reality is when you begin to tithe your full 10%, I'm not, you know, there are so many teachings. Some people believe that you have to be poverty. Some people believe, well, God wants to bless you around every corner and you, you can have, you know, millions here and God will give it all to you. Here's what I want to tell you is both of those are extreme. Yeah. The reality is there is something that God does spiritually when you begin to tithe. Yeah. And he yeah. does something in your life. And the Bible says that the enemy is held at bay and cannot come in and steal what's yours. Listen. The second thing is giving changes you. Giving changes you. Martin Luther said this, There are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. 
Giving changes you. It reminds you that your life is not your own. Giving causes you to understand God's heart. Listen, God is a giver. Jesus was a giver. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. The disciples were givers. And they gave even unto death. So if all of these people in the New Testament were extreme givers, what, what does it say about us that, that, that siege of greed or stinginess? Or what, what would it say if that begins to blossom and grow? Do we represent what we see all in the New Testament? Give, 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 give. It helps you understand and trust God in deeper ways when you give. It changes your values. Come on, come on. It, when you're not giving, you, you can give to Netflix, you can give to Hulu, you can give to cars and, and, and reproduce and, and all of that. And let me just tell you, none of that is bad. I'm not preaching against that. I'm just saying that if God has your heart but doesn't have a portion of your gift, then it would be very hard for you to prove it. It'd be very hard for you to prove that because when God takes you, He doesn't want to marginalize His presence in your life. He wants all of it. He wants it all. Giving, number three, giving fuels vision. Giving is progressive. Once you, you, you see your you're giving, manifesting fruit and producing. Come on, it's easy to begin to start give. Right here, since we've been here for 15, 16 months, we've done community outreaches. We fed the homeless. We fed our neighbors. We've gone out here uh, six months ago. We had our, one of our missionaries from Belize in, and, and he had been here, for, he had been in ministry for over 30 years and never owned his own home. And in one meeting, he spoke for five, maybe six minutes, and we took up enough for him to put a down payment on his first home. Come on. Come on. And not only that, but our team, when they went to Belize just a few months ago, they got to pray over that home. And, and, and it was so awesome because in, his kids had grown up seeing him in ministry his whole life, but had never owned a home. And because we jumped in, he was able to own his first home. Come on, that's good. That's good. When we turn our money into ministry, it changes things. It changes things. We have right now at this place, at this time, since we have started, we have spent and sent eight, around $8,500 in our, just as many people as we have, we have sent $8,500 to plant churches train pastors, and grow other churches in other communities. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. That's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, many of you are here. I mean, just think about this. This was a church plant. Yeah. If, if, if someone didn't invest into us, you, you would be somewhere else. <laughs> and we wouldn't get to know you and your smiley faces and so good. <laughs> But we've been able to invest from this small congregation over $8,000 into church planning. Yeah. Come on. That's good. That's good. Listen, 
as we begin to give, it fuels vision. Listen, when you're a tither, when you're a part of what God is doing here, and people come up to the altar, and they get saved, and they get water baptized. Come on, a month ago, what, we have like nine or ten people get baptized? I mean, all of that. You're, you're, you're a part of making that vision, come on somebody, move forward. And that's good. That's good. My encouragement to you is maybe you're not at a place financially where you can do 10%. Do three. Then move it up and do four. And do five. And and every year, we assess where we're at and we go up. Every year. And can I just tell you this? We are here not because of my excellent leadership or Katie's excellent friendliness or, or, or my speaking ability... Well, that's not why we're here. We are here because we gave and we sowed. We sowed. Come on. Uh, For 17 years, we were part of a a church. We've given away four or five cars. We, we, We have sown, and we are here today because of what we sowed, not because of what we know. And, and, and here's what I want to tell you is where could you be in five years because of what you sowed? What legacy could you have in five years because you begin to sow seeds that begin to impact other people? The truth is, we're here today. We've got a family here that has sowed countless seeds into our ministry. But the reality is we're here today and these doors were able to open up because there were a lot of people that sowed into this work. Come on. People are like, well, money doesn't matter. Listen, God does not need your money. He doesn't. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. You know what I'm saying? If he wants to make all the ATMs go, (laughs) you know, he can do it. God wants your heart and he wants to partner with you and he wants to connect with you and he wants your effort and your money to produce something kingdom. Does that make sense? That's what he wants. It fuels vision. Come on, in the Old Testament, they gave away properties. They gave away, we're here for 20 more months. 20 more months. I know that that doesn't seem that that long, but in 20 months, we're going to have to make a decision about where we're going to go, what we're going to do. Are we going to move over here? And I've got some thoughts. I don't don't know what's going to happen, you know, but I've got some thoughts on where we want to be. But I'm telling you, as we sow, you can know this. We're working really hard to take the little and make it a lot and allow God to bless and keep. And the great thing is this. I'm here to tell you today that we're not close to not being able to make payroll. There's money in the bank. Come on. And we're stewarding it well because we want to be missional. We want to be missional. Does that make sense? We want to be missional. Number four, giving helps others. About six months ago, we had a lady call our church, and we have people calling all the time, want money and want this and that, want whatever. And, and a lot of times what we'll do is when people come and they want money, we'll have them go through our, the, a finance class that we have. That'll be the first thing that we do. We just don't turn, turn loose money. But I, she called and talked to Ginger, and, I had, and then I, I, I called and talked to her, and I, I, I don't know. I just felt like I need to listen to this. And so um, she was going to NWAC. And she was a mother of four, and she was behind in her rent and did not have, didn't have the money to, to pay rent. And so what I, I just kind of, I said, well, let me pray about it for a day, and, and I'll get back to you. And so I, I thought about it and prayed, and I called her landlord. 
and I said, hey, this person's reached out for money. Can you tell me a little bit about, are she always broke? Does she always need money? She said, she's been renting for me for a year and a half, and she's never been late one time. And I said, oh, okay. And, and so I called her, and I said, hey, I need some references from you. I need to know if you are who you say you are. I don't want to give you money, and you're smoking crack. You know, so, uh, you know, I, I, I want to know what's going on. And so she gave me three references, and here's the bottom line, is that it was a single mom who had just recently been divorced. Dad left. A husband left. Nothing to do with the kids. She had a grant that was supposed to come in for um, her rent, and that grant was late. And all of her friends, she has jobs. She had two or three jobs. She was working. She was just in a moment. And so I called her landlord, and I said, we're going to send you a check for her rent. The reality is this. When you begin to give, we're able to help people, come on, who are in need. We're able to help people who are in need. And, 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 and all I'm saying is this. People get so wrapped up over the money issue, but money, money is not bad. Money is not evil. The Bible says the love of it will get you, but money in itself is not bad, and God doesn't care. The reality is we have been able to fund some of what God is doing, and the people who have helped fund it, they got bass boats, <laughs> three houses, two this, two that, and I'm like, praise God, God send them more, because the reality is they're building the kingdom of God. The last one is this. Giving opens up spiritual blessings. In Malachi 3.10, it says this, I will open up the windows of heaven on you and pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough to take it all in. There are two things that happen when you begin to start giving. Here are the two things that happen. Provision and favor. Those are the two things that happen. Now, I am not saying that God is going to, uh, because you gave... You're never going to have a, a financial moment and you're never going to be in a financial crisis. Um, I think when we preach that, it, th that's just wrong. All right, cool. Uh, but the reality is this, is that provision... God can make a way, come on, where there is no way. And there were times when we began... Uh, is that a public service announcement? <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Hey, uh, hey, wanna, uh, it's probably a phone. Uh, all right. This would be a great time to say when you're in church, turn your phones in. Uh, no, but seriously, listen. Favor and protection. When we started our uh, uh, ministry, before we launched the church, we used all of our savings and, and, and we invested into the kingdom. And, and I remember specifically, we were in a season where we were built, the church that we were at for 18 years was building a church. And they were wanting people to come and give and give and give. And, and, and we were still there and we were still apart. And I remember thinking, wow, if I give this amount, it's going to be very, very hard. And we were in our first year of a new ministry. We didn't have a lot of partners yet. And so Katie and I prayed and we believed and we wrote a significant check. And that was, that was where we were. And so we drive home and we're both kind of quiet. Like, how, how, how's this going to work out? And I'm telling you, in two days, and nobody knew, it was just us. In two days, we had two or three bags of groceries 
that were brought to us. And then in three days, we had a church call and wanted me to come speak. And it was the largest amount that I had ever received speaking and doing ministry. What I'm telling you is this. God will provide a way. And, and for all of us in Northwest Arkansas, I just need to tell you something. And this is going to be really hard. Your boss and your job is not it. Because just like that, listen, just like that, people can lose contracts. Just like that, it can be all over. And if your faith is in what you do, if your faith is in your job, then I'm going to tell you, there are, I think they just had some layoffs. What I'm telling you is this. Your faith has to be in something higher and something bigger. And you've got to invest into something that will live longer than just a career. God wants to be your provision. He wants to open up doors where there are no doors. The second thing is favor. God will open up favor. And, and because I believe that we've been tithing and because we've been faithful at that for over 14 years, I believe that God opened up favor and we came to a brand new city that we didn't know anybody. And look at y'all. Does that make sense? I'm just saying, we didn't know anybody. I mean, like nobody. But, but, but here's the deal. God will unlock favor and, and will do something in your life that you don't even know and you don't even have the connection. Does that make sense? And so I just want us to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, I'm going to end with this verse, chapter 9. Is the sound on? Uh, for 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 17. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Uh, this is New Testament, by the way. I just want to let everyone know. Uh, so let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not begrudgingly or out of necessity. For God loves, come on somebody, a cheerful giver. Ain't nobody trying to take your money. We're not the government. We want you to give and be cheerful. And here's what I'm telling you. What that will do is this. Here's what I can promise you it will do. It will move ministry forward. It will see lost people get saved. It will make your heart soft toward the needs of others. It will grow you. Does that make sense? And it will put you in a position of faith where you will lean more on Him than you do on this world. Come on. So bountifully reap bountifully. Or we can argue back and forth about how much and all that and gross and net. And I, I don't even care about all that. That's a hard issue. But here's what I'm saying. I've never met anybody on their deathbed that committed to giving say, man, I wish I gave a little less. Giving unlocks favor and giving unlocks provision. And if there is a reason why you have been withholding your giving, is it because it's a hard issue? And what I'm telling you is we want you free.
Thanks for listening. To see what's happening at the house, follow us on social media at the house underscore NWA.